0: We're going to look at Revelation chapter 21, and and we've got, (laughs) I don't know about you, but I love Revelation, I'm thankful for Revelation, but I'm glad to be in the last two chapters of Revelation with a conclusion coming up. I've never said that about any book ever in the history of my life, but I am ready to move on out of Revelation. I got to be honest with you. I mean, after preaching about how one-third of the population is going to die and how all, everything's going to happen, and man, I'm glad to get into the last two chapters where we're talking about heaven. Amen? Amen. I mean, glory. Uh, But I hope it's been encouragement to you. And I'll tell you one thing that it's done for me is it's just reminded me afresh the need that people have of hearing the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that true for you? I sure hope so. There are so many people that have no hope. What we just sang about no more night, they, they don't have that. They don't have that assurance. They're looking for something and they're looking for it in all the wrong places. And we have the truth. And I think uh, in the midst of this study, my prayer has been that each and every one of us would really not only take hope in what God has said, but certainly be transformed by the truth of the reality of the gospel of God's grace. That every person... Needs to hear the truth of the gospel, the good news. And amen to that. Folks, we are living in the end times, and I don't think there's any question about that at all whatsoever. There are people that are asking questions today. It's unbelievable, it's amazing. And I think uh, the question is, are we bold? Are we following the Lord? Are we being filled by the Spirit of God and that we're willing to follow him and what it is that he has for us? And are we willing to share our faith with others? Unashamedly, unequivocally. Say the name of Jesus, friend. That's the point. I mean, we could talk about God all day long. And people have created all kinds of mini-gods and antichrists in their minds. And there's a whole lot of people that say they believe in Jesus Christ. And that is not the Jesus Christ of our Bible. That's a fact. Say the name of Jesus because there's power in the name of Jesus. And proclaim the name of Jesus to every individual that you have an opportunity to proclaim his name to as he leads and as he empowers. But by all means, do it. Let's go. We are in the end times, and we need to wake up. We sang it this morning, and I know it's daylight savings, but it's true enough, right? We know that the night is near. We, excuse me, that it's passing, that the day is near. We know that the Lord's coming back soon. How are we walking with the Lord? How are we following him in what it is that he has for us? Well, in chapters 21 and 22, we get this picture of a new heaven and a new earth, and certainly a new Jerusalem. Peter talks about it in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 and following. He says, The day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the elements will be destroyed with intense heat. And earth and its works will be burned up. The heavens will be destroyed by burning. The elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Makes its abode. Sets itself up. In other words, there's no more evil. There's no more sin. There's no more flesh in the sense of carnality. There's nothing that would detract from our walk with the Lord, our worship of the Lord. In Revelation chapter 21, everyone whose name is written in the Lamb's book, the book of life, can look forward to a new heaven, a new earth, with a new Jerusalem. Man, that's an amazing truth, folks. That's an amazing hope. I think last week I was so blessed by Dr. Gary Habermas and just the authenticity and the humility with which he presented some of these tremendous truths, not just from a biblical perspective, if you understand what I'm saying, but from a historical perspective that the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ absolutely took place. In a few weeks, we're going we're gonna to celebrate this. We ought to be celebrating it every day, but in a few weeks, we're going to be celebrating this. And do we have in ourselves the absolute conviction that Jesus Christ truly did rise again from the dead and that one day, because of that, death has been defeated and we will be with him forever? And how does that change the way we live right now, today? How are we walking with boldness? How are we walking with confidence? How are we walking with the Lord completely and absolutely yielded to him in everything that we do? We know where we're headed. And if we've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, our name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. And we can look forward with absolute certainty to a new heaven, a new earth and a new Jerusalem. Let me give you three things in light of that. First of all, there's a renewed creation. Secondly, there's an amazing citizenship, and lastly, there's a new city. And it's so cool this thing of uh, the new Jerusalem and we're going to look at some of that. It's just amazing to me. But first of all, there's a renewed creation. In Revelation chapter 21 verse 1, he says, "I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea." In Romans chapter 8, verse 18 and following, Paul writes this, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption and to the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one also hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. Wow. What an awesome truth. We're looking forward to something that we know is there. We're looking forward to something that has been absolutely promised. And even creation groans with longing for the sons of God to be revealed. For the new day where sin will be dealt with once and for all. In Revelation 21, when he says a new heaven and a new earth, that word new means qualitatively, absolutely brand new. It's not a numeric value, but it is absolutely a quality. It is something that is qualitatively brand new. It's evidenced by the fact that there is no longer any sea. It doesn't mean that there's no water. In fact, we know in chapter... uh, 22 Verse 1 That there is a throne of God, and there is the river that is flowing from that throne. It's interesting because in that chapter, we're also told that the city has no need for the sun or the moon, that Christ Himself will illuminate the city. There's no night, and as such, no need for light in the dark. There's no darkness. There's no night. There's no need for a sun. There's no C. It is qualitatively, absolutely brand new. It's interesting because also in chapter 22, verses 3 and following, we're told that there's no longer going to be any curse. Now, what curse is he talking about? He's talking about the curse that was placed on creation as soon as Adam sinned. Not only was humanity placed under the curse, but all of creation was placed under the curse. And as we read in Romans, even, uh, even nature longs for the revealing of the sons of God, for the lifting of the curse. There's no longer going to be any curse. And in verse 5 of chapter 22, there will no longer be any night. They will not need the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun because the Lord God will illumine them and they will reign forever and ever. What an amazing truth. It appears to me clearly... That not only does the city not need the sun, but there is no sun due to the light of the glory of Christ reflecting from the city into the entire earth. There's no night, no darkness. All is illumined or lit by God's glory from Jerusalem, the new city where all the saints dwell. Part of the new creation is the new city Jerusalem. Verse two, he says, I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. There's a renewed creation. It is qualitatively and absolutely brand new. It's a new heaven and a new earth. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but you know that there's three heavens, right? We know that, I think. There's the heaven when you wake up in the morning, you look up and you see the sky. There's the heaven just before you go to bed at night. Where you look up and you can see through the atmosphere and you can begin to see the stars and you can begin to see the moon, right? That's the second heaven. The third heaven is where the Lord resides. Now, I don't believe that what we're talking about here is a new heaven in the sense of where the Lord resides because there's no sin there as it is. What we're talking about is probably the first and second heaven that goes with this earth. In other words, the universe Sin has entered into this universe, and as a result, it's going to be redone. As Peter talks about, it's going to be destroyed with fire, and God's going to renew it. He's going to regenerate it. When we talk about a new heaven and a new earth, we're talking about something that we have lived in and experienced and is going to be qualitatively and absolutely brand new. There's going to be a renewed creation. And we're a part of that, folks. We are citizens of heaven. Why? Not because of our works, not because of anything we could do, but because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done on our part, and therefore we have an amazing citizenship. Within heaven. Look at verses three and following in Revelation 21. He says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, write, for these words are faithful and true. And then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Folks, this is post-millennium. This is after the millennium. All things have been judged. All things have been taken care of. Satan had been released at the end of the millennium. Gog and Magog took place. All the nations, those who had believed in or said they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and during the millennium, but actually had not. Satan deceives, they go to war against the Lamb in Jerusalem. The Lamb destroys them, and now we are after this moment. This is a new day. This is a new age. We don't honestly know much about it. I'll tell you the truth. I don't, need no, I don't need to know much about it to know that I want to be there. Amen? I don't need to know much about all the details of it. I just know there's not going to be any sin there. I'm going to have a glorified body and thank the Lord for that. There's not going to be any more night no, mourning, weeping. John hears a loud voice from heaven and the proclamation is given The Lord himself is establishing these things. He says God will tabernacle. He will dwell with his people and they with him. The idea is that there's never going to be a moment where we're not with the Lord. There's never going to be a moment where he's not with us. Separation is no longer going to be an issue. We're going to be with him forever and ever and ever for eternity. I don't know about you, but I always, as a kid, used to kind of wonder, what in the world are we going to do in heaven? Did you ever wonder about that? I always saw those silly little Sunday school things where they had the cherubs, little fat little dudes, sitting on a, on a cloud, strumming a harp. You know, you know what I'm talking about? And I always... Kind of feared that because I thought, good grief, if all we're ever doing is saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And I don't mean to be sacrilegious, but in my mind as a child, I'm thinking if that's all we ever say, that's kind of boring. I want to play football. You know, I want to play baseball. I want to play basketball. I want to go out and see things. I like to hike. I like the mountains. I'm from the Alps. Come on. And I used to think of that as being rather boring. Folks, I believe heaven is going to be very active. Certainly we're gonna be praising the Lord and we've seen pictures where in the throne room of God, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's going to be said and it's gonna be an amazing experience as we worship the Lord. Not only is the angelic host worships the Lord, but all of the saints of God worship God. That's gonna be incredible. The tribu- all the tribulation and all the things that have passed are now done away with and to be able to worship God in freedom and in holiness, and even Baptists can raise their hands. You really do need to wake up. We'll we'll get you there. I'll get you there. (laughs) You can stand. Some of you may even end up dancing. I know my wife, man. She's (laughs) Oh, Folks, it's going to be amazing. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you are struggling with pain right now? How many of you woke up this morning and you have pain? How many of you woke up this morning and you were worried about something? How many of you woke up this morning and you're fearful of something? How many of you woke up this morning and something in your life isn't right? Friend, I'm gonna tell you something, in heaven, that's not gonna be the issue. Never have to fear it again, never have to worry about it again. Doesn't have to be something that we even have our minds dwell on. It's not even an issue. Think about that. Incredible, this proclamation. God's going to tabernacle with us. He's going to dwell with us. and We with him, never to be separated again. Verse 4 is perhaps one of the most famous verses in Scripture regarding heaven. And we're told that every tear will be wiped away. How many of us have cried because of pain and sorrow and suffering, frustration and anger? I guarantee everybody here at some point has had that, already is facing it in some way. Every tear will be wiped away. There's no more death, no more death. Think about that. We we don't have to worry about hospitals, we don't have to worry about health care. praise God. (laughs) Think about that, it's incredible. We don't have to wonder about how we're gonna take care of loved ones. What's the best course of action? We don't have to worry about any of those kind of things. There's no more death. There's no more mourning. There's no crying. There's no pain. The first things have passed away. Wow. Praise God for the second things. All things are being made new. Again, that word new means qualitatively, absolutely brand new. The Lord assures us, of this truth the Lord himself gives his word the Lord himself makes this clear and just as he did at the beginning of Revelation he declares that he's the alpha and the omega he's the beginning and the end he's the first and the last he has completed and finished all things all prophecy has been fulfilled all the things that he said would take place has taken place and now we enter into a new age, a new day, where he makes all things new. And he promises to us that there's no more sorrow, no more mourning, no more death, no more crying. Every tear will be wiped away. Amazing. When we think about heaven, we think about what God's done for us. And we think about being there. That's a, sometimes it's unimaginable, isn't it? Why? Because right now we see dimly. One day we're going to see clearly. One day we're going to understand more fully. But right now we see dimly. But there's a truth here, folks. There's something here that uh, is worth our lives in terms of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done for us and the opportunity to participate with the Lord in the greatest rescue mission ever known to humanity. And that is that every person who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ has the opportunity to experience exactly what we're talking about right here. Think about that. Wouldn't we want for every one of our family members, every one of our friends, all of our neighbors, everybody to experience what we're talking about right here? I would certainly hope that we would all say absolutely yes. Because, folks, that's the reality of it. How does this apply to us? Well, we look forward to it. We long for it. We look towards that day. But right now, we live in the midst of a fallen, sinful world where humanity is absolutely without hope and without purpose, where evil still has its existence. And we have the opportunity as children of light to walk with the Lord who is light in his power and in his strength, understanding that whatever happens to our bodies, nothing can touch our souls because the Lord Jesus Christ holds us in his hands and what he holds in his hands, nobody can pluck out. Our security is absolute. Our assurance is absolute. We need not fear. We can run to the one who is in control of everything and who has promised us that there's coming a day where we're going to enter into a new age, where there's a new creation, and we're going to have an amazing citizenship to be able to participate in worshiping the Lamb forever and ever and ever and ever. It's incredible, folks. Amen. In Matthew chapter 19, verses 27 and following, States this, Peter said to him, The Lord, behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? (laughs) Now, I'm not sure exactly about the way Peter worded that, but I love what the Lord says to him. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that you who have followed me in the regeneration, and again, this is what we're talking about the new heaven, new earth. new city. When the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. You know, that's a blessing to us, that verse. You know, when you follow the Lord sometimes, there's there's pain in it. There's challenges. The Lord never says it's not going to be easy or says that it's going to be easy. There's challenges, there's difficulties. But there's promises. And the Lord comes first, folks, no matter what. No matter what the cost is, no matter what it may appear. Whatever, whatever the cost you may attribute to following the Lord, it's nothing in comparison to what the Lord promises to us. And the question is, are we willing to follow? When you think about the apostles and what they went through, how they gave their lives for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, what they suffered. It's amazing to listen to what Peter has to talk about in terms of even what Dr. Gary said last week, that garrisoned in heaven on our behalf is our future, it is absolutely secure, it is true. Why? Because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is true. You will never regret following the Lord in this life, no matter what the cost may be. You will never regret it in heaven. You'll never look back from heaven and say, oh, I wish I hadn't followed God in that moment. What we'll regret is not having given our all. What we'll regret is having been too attached to the world and the things of the world. That's what we'll regret. Even that will be removed, praise God. Walverd puts it this way. It is evident that the city is the dwelling place of the saints of all ages, the angels and God himself. There's not only a, a new earth and a new heaven. There's a regenerated creation. There's also citizens of which we are some. But when we talk about the new city, it is the dwelling place of the saints of all ages, The angels and God himself. In verse 9 and following of Revelation, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Now, the city itself is currently, I believe, in, in heaven. Abraham is said to have been looking for that city. He, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10, it says, For he, Abraham, was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. <laughs> I love that. Abraham followed the Lord, and whatever it cost him didn't matter. What he was looking for is a city whose architect and builder is God. The city itself is described in several main ways. Verses eleven and following. I'm just going to give you a kind of a snapshot rendition of this. The whole city is like a costly stone, crystal clear. Some have said it's like a like a diamond, shining because of the light of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who is in it. We're told in verses twelve and seventeen that it has a very high wall and that it has twelve gates. If you do some of the math. The wall is approximately 216 feet high, which pales in comparison to how tall this city really is. An angel is posted at each gate in verse 12. It has three gates on each side of the city in verse 13. And each gate was named for one of the tribes of Israel in verse 12. Each gate is a pearl. So there's three pearls on each side of the city because there's three gates on each side, 12 total. Verse 21, we're told that. The wall has 12 foundation stones, each with the name of one of the 12 apostles, and verse 14, we're shared that information. The city itself, and depending on the measurements and what it actually equals in terms of miles, is somewhere in the vicinity of 1,400 to 1,500 miles wide, long-end High, what I believe it's cubical. Some have said, Well, maybe it's more like a pyramid, but it, it says it's equal on every side, so it's like a massive cube coming down out of heaven. It's made out of pure gold, it's clear. In verse 18, we're told. In verses 19 through 20, about the precious stones that make up the foundation of the city, all are precious or rare. All will add to the brilliance of the city. The New American Commentary says this, It's apparently cubic in its construction, with all sides being equal. The city is measured with a rod and is discovered to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide as it is tall. A stadion, according to Reniker and Rogers, is about 607 English feet, And this would make the city at 12,000 furlongs to be 1,400 miles cubed. Others disagree with that. They put it at 1,500 miles cubed. It's big. It's big. The streets are made of pure gold like transparent glass in verse 21. There's no temple in it. It's interesting, John, immediately when he's taken to the mountain by the Spirit, looks and he sees that there's no temple in it. Why? For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. They are the center of all worship. In verse 22. In verses 23 and following, this is additional information and it's in effect restated. The city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. In the daytime, for there will be no night there, its gates will never be closed, and they will bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And nothing unclean, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. This city is rather remarkable, and I did a little bit of math, and that's a scary moment. But I just, I've just—I always wondered in some ways about this city. We're talking about a new heaven and a new earth where there's no sea, and some would suggest that the, the oceans that we understand now, and again, this is a reconstituted, regenerated earth where there's no sea in it. It's not that there's no water. We know that there's the river of life, so there must be water. But we know that there's no ocean, and so you think about the landmass. This new city of New Jerusalem coming down to this earth. If you think about it, and you take about 1,400 to 1,500 miles, okay? You go from Los Angeles, California, to Little Rock, Arkansas. That's about that length. Los Angeles to Little Rock. Think about that. And then if you take Los Angeles and Little Rock and you go due north, I don't know where it ends up for Little Rock because it's Canada and there's not much up there. But for Los Angeles, it's in Edmonton. It's in Edmonton. You think about how far that is. Los Angeles, the Little Rock, up to Edmonton. And then you begin to think about the height, the height of this. The sea level to outer space is approximately 60 miles. <laughs> Did you catch that? Are we awake yet? Right? Daylight savings? Sea level, approximately to outer space, is about 60 miles. Some say 62 miles, it's in that range. I said 60 because it's easier to do the math, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> if you take approximately 1,450 miles high and you divide that, you get approximately 24 levels. That is what we are currently used to having. In other words, there could be potentially 24 different levels. Elevator up, go to the next level. 24 times of the size or the platform or the mileage from Los Angeles to Edmonton to Little Rock and North. Think about that. Each level has over two million square miles two million. If there's 24 levels, each with that approximate mileage, you end up in the vicinity of over 50 million square miles of space. That's 60 miles between levels, folks. (laughs) I mean, if you cut that in half, we're talking 100 million, right? Did I get that right? 50 times two equals... All right, we're awake. Think about that. This is a massive city. To put it into a little bit of perspective, how many square miles is the United States? Anybody know? It's approximately 3.8 million square miles. Think about that. It's huge, folks. I used to wonder, are we going to have enough space? I think that settles that answer. Right? Settled. Settled. What an amazing city. What an amazing earth. We're gonna have glorified bodies. We're never gonna to have to worry about sin. We're never gonna to have to worry about mourning or crying or any of the things that have come in as a result of the fall. We're gonna to get to walk with the Lord in complete and absolute purity with total and abundant love and grace no more conflict it won't be boring we know we'll be serving the lord and what that looks like we can only begin to speculate about but if it's of the lord it's going to be awesome you can guarantee that are we like abraham longing for a city whose architect and maker's maker is god Are we like Abraham in that? Do we live our lives each and every day longing for a place where no evil exists, no sin, no pain, no sorrow, where God will dwell among us, where there's no more tears, there's no more death, there's no more mourning, crying, or pain? How how are we living our lives in light of that? How are we walking with the Lord in light of those truths? You know, what's interesting is even in this, statement that the Lord gives, all are invited to partake of the free living water and receive eternal life without cost. In verse 6. The whole picture here is what's going to happen. As we've walked through Revelation, these are things that are certain. They are set They are going to take place. We we may not understand it all. We may not agree on everything in terms of how it's going to transpire, what it exactly is going to look like, what the exact time frames are. But, friend, it will happen. And even in this chapter where we're talking about the regeneration, even in this chapter where we're talking about the future day, where there's no evil that comes within this new earth, this new city, There's an invitation that everybody who desires can partake of the living water without cost. That there's an opportunity to be saved. There's an opportunity to experience all of this because of what Christ has done for us at the cross. Overcomers will inherit these things, he says in verse 7. And he makes it very clear in verses 8 and 27 that those who do not believe will spend eternity in the lake of fire which is the second death folks even in this there is an invitation there is an absolute presentation of what god is able to do how god can heal how god can renew how god can save through the person of the lord jesus christ in second peter chapter 3 verses 11 and following, Peter, in talking about the earth being destroyed by fire, he makes this statement to the people that he's writing to and therefore to us as believers. He says, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat? But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. What sort of people ought we to be in holy conduct and godliness? What should our lives look like knowing for sure what's coming? Knowing what God has promised what the Lord has done for us, how He has come to live within us, how we're new creatures in Christ Jesus, how He has come to live within us and indwell us, and we have His grace. As David said, we can begin today to worship the Lord. We don't have to wait till then. Every moment of every day is His. How are we living for Him? How are we experiencing the Lord? How are we willing to follow him? How are we learning and growing? How are we being deepened in our walk with the Lord? How are our lives being lived in holy conduct and godliness? Not out of our own efforts, but rather in yielding to Christ and submitting to him because of what he is able to do in us as well as then, what? Through us, through us. How is God's love being made manifest through our lives.